We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. When standing in an empty room, the floor is hardwood. There's a window that I can look through, and through it, I'm able to see my sister who is taking dance lessons. I'm the only child in this other room. It's another room where dance lessons usually take place, and I'm the only one there. There is no furniture in this room. There's no adults in this room. There's just me, and I'm five years old. I'm watching my sister twirling and spinning and doing all the dance moves that she's learning how to do in the other room, and I'm kind of bored. I want to figure out what to do, and that looks like a lot of fun. And so I start to spin and twirl and dance And as I'm spinning and twirling, I trip and I fall and I land on the one and only thing, the only other object in the room besides myself, is a built-in wooden box in the corner. And I land on it with my eye. And blood is gushing down my face and I let out a blood-curling scream. My mom runs in, sees blood all over, and knows exactly what has happened. I have cut my eye open and she whisks me to the emergency room to get stitches. This is not the first time that I have been to the emergency room. In fact, it was only a week earlier that I was in the same emergency room getting stitches because for some reason or other I had fallen on the curb out in front of my house and smacked the same eye that I am now getting stitches for in the emergency room today. In fact, the doctors said that if I hadn't fallen and smacked my eye and it wasn't, uh, and because it was still swollen, I probably would have lost my eye from the accident in the dance studio. But that wasn't even the first time that I had been in the hospital for stitches. My parents said that I had the million-dollar face because it seemed like at least once a month I had fallen down and tripped on something and cut open my chin or cut open my eye or cut open some other part of my face and had to get stitches. I was in and out of the emergency room getting stitches in and out more times than I can even imagine. And that's why my parents said that I had a million-dollar face because of the medical bills that they had to continue paying for all these dang stitches. Why was I falling all over the place? Did I have some equilibrium problem? Was there something going on with my ears? No. What really happened is that as a baby, I skipped the stage of crawling. I went from scooting around to walking without crawling at all. I missed that stage, and experts have since discovered that there is something very important about learning how to crawl as a child. It helps develop hand-eye coordination, and because I skipped that phase, I had 
no hand-eye coordination. It's one of the reasons why I was lousy at sports. I couldn't catch the ball. I couldn't hit the ball. I just couldn't coordinate my hand and my eyes to work the way that they were supposed to. I remember going to my friend's house for sleepovers, and inevitably, whenever I was at my friend's house for a sleepover, his dad would pull out a soda. I could be across the room having nothing to do with his dad, and somehow or other, I would do something that would inevitably spill my friend's dad's soda all over the place. Oh, he would get so frustrated with me. And I did the same thing when my parents would take me out to dinner. My dad was finally getting to the point where he's like, dang kid, I can't take you to dinner any anywhere because I inevitably would knock over the water or knock over the soda and it would go all over the table. I was a clumsy, clumsy kid. And the clumsiness didn't go away. As I became a teenager, I was clumsy. As an adult, I was clumsy. I I've still I've gotten a lot better now, but I still was very clumsy and tripping over things and smacking into things and and getting stitches even as an adult. Just it was so frustrating. My mom had done some research and discovered that there was a way to reverse this problem. And the way to reduce it was to spend three months crawling on the floor. The idea was that if I came home from school, instead of walking around in the house, I would crawl around. And if I did that for about three months, that would reverse my problem with hand-eye coordination and I should be able to be all right. But nobody got time for that. I, there was no way in the world that I was going to be crawling around when I could walk there faster. And so I never did it. I remember sharing this story in the outpatient rehab in Pittsburgh with uh, the people who were there to receive counseling services for their addictions. And I was telling them about, you know, there's I have this problem and, and there's a way that it could be fixed and that I hadn't done it yet. And they began to challenge me. They're like, okay, so let me get this straight. You have a problem that's causing distress in your life and you have a solution that could help fix it and yet you don't take advantage of it. I'm like, yeah, nobody has time for that. Why would I do that? No, that That's three months of my life. And they're, they challenged me and they said, look, you know, we have this, we have these addictions. We really struggle with that. How amazing would it be if there was something that we could do for three months of our life and that we would never have to struggle with this addiction again? That seems like amazing. And then I said, well, yeah, but seriously. Nobody has time for that. And to be honest, to this day, I still have not crawled around for three months to get rid of my problem with being clumsy. I still haven't done it. I, I, I guess I've developed enough hand-eye coordination over the 40-so years of my life that I don't, I'm not as clumsy as I was before, but there are still those moments. And in those moments, I think to myself, well, maybe I should just crawl around for three months and, and get rid of that problem. I'm sharing all of this with you because it, it does a really great job of setting up the question of the week. And here's the question. Why do New Year's resolutions fail? New Year's resolutions fail for a number of reasons. 
statistically, it shows that people who set New Year's resolutions, they run out of steam in about two to three weeks. They have a goal that they're going to work on, and within about three weeks, they've given up on that New Year's resolution. I'm not sure that I even last that long. There have been so many times when I've said to myself, okay, I am going to lose weight, or I am going to study something that I'm really passionate about. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it every day. I promise myself I'm going to do it every day. And then I do it for about three days and then I totally forget. So let's use the crawling situation as an example. One of the reasons why I didn't choose to do that is because the benefit in my mind wasn't big enough for me to be willing to invest the time and energy to crawl for three months to gain my hand-eye coordination. The benefit of doing that was not big enough. I was willing to suffer the consequences of being clumsy and have people being mad at me or frustrated with me. I was willing to do that because that seemed less painful than crawling around for three months. And so that's one of the reasons why New Year's resolutions fail. We don't have enough of a reason for why we really want to do it. It's the reason why we want to do it isn't necessarily big enough for us to be willing to endure the pain because change does require some effort. If the, if the reason for why we're doing it isn't big enough and we don't hold on to that for long enough, we're not going to really be able to push through the effort that is going to be required and we're going to give up. One of the things that we want to be able to do is focus on and really do some mindful exercise about what is it that I want to achieve and why do I want that? What is the benefit? What will that do for me? And really try to spend some time maybe even journaling about what is the benefit that this is going to do for me and why is it worth the effort that it's going to take to achieve whatever it is that I'm wanting to achieve. For me, I never did that. I never sat down and really evaluated what are the consequences of me continuing to become clumsy? How is that going to affect me? How's that going to affect the people around me? I never spent any time doing that. And so because I never did that, just the thought of crawling every day seemed so daunting that I just didn't do it. Secondly, one of the reasons why resolutions fail is because they're not specific enough. A lot of times people say, I, I want to lose weight, or I want a lot of New Year's resolutions have to do with weight. I can totally understand this last Christmas. I think I gained five to 10 pounds because I ate so much junk food. It was wonderful, but you know, the guilt and the shame just pours down on me afterwards. And, I, and so a lot of people that happens and they say, okay, I'm going to lose weight. But they don't really define what that means. And even setting a specific number doesn't mean a lot. There have been times when I've been able to lose five pounds overnight. It's really because I just was dehydrated. So being able to setting a specific weight goal sometimes is not even enough. So we go back to what is it that we want? Well, I want to be healthy. I want to be able to do this or that. Why is that so important for me? So for example, I may say instead of I want to lose weight, it may be that I want to run a 5k 
or I want to be able to swim a certain number of laps, or I want to be able to spend time with my children. I want to be able to do this specific activity and make it very specific, something that you want to accomplish. And then that becomes part of the motivation for you of why you are going to do the effort to get to it. My friend set a goal that he wanted to run an Ironman. We've talked about this before in the podcast. And because of that, he was willing to go through the torture of swimming and running and biking every day, sometimes up to four hours of exercise a day because he wanted to accomplish that. That was a goal. He would imagine himself running through the finish line. And so because he had that specific of an image in his mind, it's what drove him to continue to do it day in and day out. So when you look at your New Year's resolutions, how specific is it? And is it motivating enough for you? Why do you want it? Another reason why New Year's resolutions fail is because we set this because it's what we think we should do, not because we actually want to do it. So we know that we should lose weight or we should take better care of ourselves. But is it actually something I want to do? Because truth be told, if it's not something you want to do, you're not going to do it, as evidenced by the fact that I really didn't want to crawl. I did want to have more hand-eye coordination, but I didn't want to do the effort. I really didn't, and so I never did. It goes back to that principle number one. Why do you want to do it? What is so important? But asking yourself and being honest, is this something I really want to do, or is it because I feel like I should do it? Am I being motivated by Shame, because to be honest, if you're motivated by shame, that's not going to last very long. Shame is going to rule out. So you really want to spend some time thinking, what is it that I actually want to do? Do I really want to do this? And why do I want to do this? What benefit is that going to bring me? What joy, what peace, what excitement is this going to bring? What pleasure is this going to bring to me to do this? Tony Robbins says that we're really only motivated by two things as humans, to avoid pain or to experience pleasure. If I'm not finding some pleasure in doing this activity, it's probably not going to last very long. We want to be able to find some enjoyment out of doing it because if it's just painful and there's no pleasure involved, we're probably going to give up. In my book that recently was published, A Year of Self-Love, I offer another solution altogether. And this is found in the January 1st entry. Here's what it says. It's a new year. Many people write down their New Year's resolutions with every intention of achieving them, only to lose traction and hope within a few weeks or even a few days. I invite you to try something different this year. Set your intention. What is the one thing that you would like to experience more of this year? Joy, love, compassion, fitness, forgiveness, or happiness? Think of a word that encapsulates what you want to experience more of. Write down that word. Write it on a mirror. Write it on social media. Write it anywhere you want. Even if you've added a small drop of that thing to your life by the end of the year, you will have made an improvement. This is success. You set the intention. What is it that you want to achieve this year? Just an intention, one word that describes what that is. And then every day, you can check in with yourself and ask yourself, what is something that I could do today that would help me get a little bit more of that into my life? So maybe it is fitness. I want to be more fit by the end of the year. I want, I want that. And so that's your word, fitness. So every day you ask yourself, what is it that I could do? 
to help my body be a little healthier today than it was yesterday. It's something that you can celebrate. Every day that you do it, you can celebrate. I did it. One of the other things that I find helpful when we're looking at these intentions and wanting to improve ourselves is having some kind of accountability. Having a support system who can cheer you on when, you, when you're successful, who can encourage you when you miss a day or two and help you to continue to keep going and to not give up, that is an incredible resource that a lot of people fail to use. Oftentimes we try to do these New Year's resolutions all by ourselves. We do it within our own confines and we don't really share it with other people. But getting other people to be your cheerleaders and your support team and sometimes the coach who kicks you in the butt and says you got to keep going can really help us in being able to be successful in achieving the goals and the desires and the intentions that we have for ourselves. If you haven't picked up your copy of A Year of Self-Love, it is the beginning of the year when I'm recording this, and it would be a great resource for you. What I love about the book, and yes, I know I'm biased because I wrote it, but what a lot of people also tell me that they love about the book is that it's a little teeny entry every day that just gives you one little activity that you can think about or ponder upon or, or just meditate on for the day. And a lot of people have said that that feels so refreshing to them. It's been really helpful for them. It's not overwhelming. It's something that's doable, little teeny chunks. And that's one of the successes of making New Year's resolutions work. I think back about the advice that the people in the rehab gave me. And they said, look, if, if there was something you could do that could eradicate the problem that you have, why wouldn't you do it? That is such a beautiful question. And I think I've answered that a little bit in the podcast already. Being clumsy was more acceptable to me than being willing to put in the effort to crawl around on the floor. But there are other things in my life that have not been acceptable to me. My addictive behaviors, the way that I managed my anger, those kind of things were not tolerable for me. And I really needed to figure out what I could do. And I made a consistent effort to work on those every day so that I would be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. My last thought is, I think about that little five-year-old boy who had stitches in his eyes both ways, and I wanna just go back in time and I wanna tell him, you know what, Troy, you are okay. It's okay that you're clumsy. It's okay that you struggle with some things. There are gonna be far more daunting struggles that you are gonna have in your life than whether or not you're clumsy. I just want you to know that I love you and I'm proud of you and it's going to be okay. It's something that I have to tell myself sometimes even today. I have to practice self-compassion because some of the mistakes that I make are a little bit bigger than falling down in an empty room on the one box in the corner that caused me to get a couple of stitches. Some of the mistakes that I make have a much more profound impact on my life and the lives of my family and friends. And in those times, it's so easy for me to get sucked into the shame of feeling like I'm a horrible person and I'm no good, which doesn't help me show up in my life at all. But being able to look in the mirror and say, yep, you made a mistake and it's okay. Yep, and there are some consequences to that but you are worthy of love and belonging and you matter and you're important. And from that place, 
I'm much more willing to do the things that are necessary to make amends and make the changes in my life because I know that I'm worthy of those changes. I know that I'm worthy of love and belonging and that the effort is worth it. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to troylove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.